Hi, and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where two people who should drink more water and floss come together once a week and tell each other stories that we've compulsively researched and now decide to tell each other and hope the other one hasn't heard it before. I'm Teresa. I'm Angie, and I need to go floss. So say we all. (laughs) That is hilarious. Who's going to go first today? Um, let me see. What was the last episode that we recorded? It was 36. And 36, oh no, 36 is today? Where are we? 36 is today. So 35. <laughs> ah, 35 was me telling you about the Witchcraft Act. Um, Who went first um, for the Witchcraft Act? I don't remember, but I loved that one. Dang it. Do you want to like uh, visually rock, paper, scissors it? Okay. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, <laughs> scissors, shoot. You won. So does that mean I go first? We didn't clarify that before we started. <laughs> okay, you go first. How about that? <laughs> okay, that sounds All right. great. I'm leaving this um, in. Before I go first, though, I, I, one of we didn't, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, kiddo comes home tomorrow from her summer at Papa and Grandma's and that will be so neat. We've actually had um, FaceTimes where this is going to sound like so neurodivergent that it's hilarious where I just sit there and embroider and she sits there and plays Legos and there's very little talking back and forth. We're just parallel playing the entire time. Mm hmm. Yeah, um, the man and I refer to um, the wee boy and, and my doing that as companionable silence. Mm. We delight in it. But th- that's exactly why I hate the phone. Yeah. You know, because like you get bored eight minutes into the call and you're like, mm, yeah, sock drawer needs to be organized. I need to be <laughs> tilling the backyard, which I didn't know I needed to, but I need to do it now. Nine minutes into this call, it has to get done immediately. <laughs> like right, right now. Yeah. Like <laughs> anything but this call. And if you do FaceTime and it's like, I'm going to do my thing, you do your thing, but we can at least look at each other and go, okay, you still yep. exist. You're still breathing. And that is so delightfully strange and amazing. Thank God for technology. I agree. Wholly agree. I knew the the first um, instance where I knew I probably had ADHD was a TikTok with two comedians and or one's a comedian and then the other is his husband. And um, he was outside and the husband's like, you know how I know he has to do some work today because he's outside mopping or he's outside vacuuming the patio in the rain. But he has to do it right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, if I don't feel that in the very depths of my soul. <laughs> I mean, look, I compulsively cleaned every single nook and cranny of the refrigerator yesterday. You do what you got to do, you know? It it had to happen. There was nothing else in this world that was going to take place other than that. Mm-hmm. Do you know the joy I get when I open the fridge? Yes, the same joy I get when I open the fridge when it's compulsively cleaned. And do you know the next time I'm going to pulse, compulsively clean it? Because I don't. Yeah, me either. Uh, do you ever go to the hardware store just to look at the new fridges because they're clean? Because that is something that I do. 
I haven't done that yet. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things, and my kids do it too. They're like, oh, mom's going to go to Lowe's. Let's go look at fridges. <laughs> See, I can't do that because I do things like, you know, I really appreciate this. I need to buy it. And it's like, it's not like I measure it beforehand. So when the fridge shows up, it doesn't fit. So thankfully for me, I bring the husband along with me and he measures the stuff. Like he sees me compulsively loving this. He sees me pack bonding with this item. Is it going to fit in our house? He's going to tell me before I get too deep into it, <laughs> whether or not it's going to work. Mm. Hubs joins me in my excitement. And I think that's where we, we fail. Uh, he gets caught up in the enthusiasm right he's your he's your best hype man he is my best hype man and i need that but at some points it is my detriment yeah i feel that i think ian would say that it's the exact opposite that i'm his best hype man and i, I would be helpful if i told him no mm. <laughs> it is what it is what are you gonna do you know and see i'm really good at telling him no and I for, like I don't realize, oh, he needed me to be a hype man at that point. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I watch him deflate and I go, oh, you were dreaming. This was a dream with me exercise. You didn't tell me. I didn't. I wasn't prepared. I you didn't stretch. It. Yeah, like I need to know what we're doing. Otherwise, hey, what if we added a water? No, we're not doing a waterfall because of the evaporation. And we're going to need. And I was just thinking about how peaceful it would be to hear the sound of running water. Oh, this was like a maybe 10, 15, if any years in the future plan. Oh, I'm a jerk face. Okay. So here's where like in a few weeks you circle back and it's your idea. No, because then he has permission to do it. and He breaks ground immediately. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what I'm apologizing for because that's awesome. It, it is until... Until it happens and never gets quite finished. Can I tell you that this morning, um, part of the reason that took me so long to get here was that I was saving frogs from the depths of my waterless pool. Next week on ADHD Talk. <laughs> Pretty much, yep. Owen that... came in the bedroom and he's like, Mom, there's frogs down there. And every time we see him down there, we have to go save them. Otherwise, they die down there. You, they, they can't make it an hour? Usually not. They cook in there because the the base of our pool is bright white. So the minute oh. the sun comes out, they start like baking. Okay. It's, yeah, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's no seasonings on them. So you, that's, that's a waste. It's a whole thing. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, your story. My sources. I'm going to start with my sources. Oh, hey, at the top? At the top even. Angie, be still I, my heart. I, You know, I figured you could use some love. So uh, it's foreignpolicy.com. Oh, this this sounds dry. Oh, trust me, it's not. It's actually quite wet. Um, Moist even. <laughs> gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, excuse me. I Calling your question. source moist really got you. <laughs> really did. Um, the WashingtonPost.com. It's uh, archives from the 1990s. Do you have an article and writer for that? I or? do, yeah. Oh, okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. Yeah, let me get there. Jeez. I know. Um, Pepsi sets a $3 billion barter deal with the Soviets is the title of my article. 
Is this the Harrier jet? Uh, no, but I was going to mention the Harrier jet. Okay. 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 Yeah. I'm here for it. Um, and- <gasps> oh, I know this one. Carry on. <laughs> Go ahead. Hit me with the title then. <laughs> no, I don't know the title, but this is when Russia really wants to get Pepsi. And so they end up giving them an entire Navy. And for like a brief period of time, Pepsi has like a massive fleet that ranks in the top world. The, the sixth, sixth in the world. See, and I knew I wouldn't know the number, <laughs> so I should just like, and then, and then over that, you know? Oh, I love the story so much. Um, So part of it comes from an uh, Atlas Obscura article. Uh, when the Soviet Union paid Pepsi and warships by Anne Eubank. And it's just proof that bartering is alive and well if you have cool things. Oh, 100%. 100%. When I, I've heard of this before, but um, much like the Harrier incident, which I I want to look further into because I know that there's like somebody won it and they like actually demanded the airplane but yes. I don't know much else besides that oh my gosh there is a whole like documentary on I think it's Netflix and it is so gold because it is done like the um it's the kid who who really brainchilded it and then his rich friend because we all need a rich friend who bankrolled Absolutely. it I'm here for it I'm okay, but anyhow, I, I don't know um, a ton about this. Okay, so both of these incidences to me have like the, what is it called? Like the Mandela effect where like you you, re- you think you remember history alternatively than how it actually happened. Right, like Richard <laughs> Simmons headband or. Yeah, Bernstein or Berenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So as I was like reading everything I could possibly read on this that was the only thing that kept coming to mind like i was alive for most of this how do i not remember this clearly didn't happen and then i remember okay like i was a kid like a little kid for most of this um so it probably very much did happen but it's such a random moment in history that you're like hold on wait a second (laughs) you know and it's it just goes to show that that pepsi didn't capitalize on this because this could have been a huge brand building Drink well, Pepsi or else. And then all of the machine guns. Whoosh. It could have. Um, and it probably would have had the Soviet Union not fallen when it fell. Okay. Okay. Now I really need to, I really just need to shut up and let you tell your story. So you ready? Yes. Okay. So um, I love this quote. It's a rare exchange of culture. In the summer of 1959, the U.S. and the USSR hold an well first the ussr holds an exhibition in new york like you do like i've just said that backwards the u.s attends a exhibition of culture okay that right okay so that makes more sense right the ussr brings uh soviet culture to like america's playground and shares its wealth of fun with the americans like we are trying to build better relationships right we don't do it often so take the olive branch when we offer it right so in return pepsi and not just pepsi but the u.s decides to host one in moscow and it's called the american national exhibition wait wait i just want to i want to go back so i can clarify your meaning the u.s goes to do this exhibition and pepsi is a part of the exhibition 
Pepsi is a part of the excavation and probably the biggest winner from this excavation. I mean, considering they walk away with a fleet, I'm assuming. <laughs> right. So now, but remember, it's 1959, right? So, so we're, there are products that we're showing off, like our cars, our art, our fashion. We even build an entire American model home so that the USSR can see what it is to be an everyday American. So this um, is kind of like, they're like, I'm just imagining like an Ikea kind of thing where you go through and you're all oh yeah yeah you really can put bunk beds in the kitchen next to the microwave (laughs) i think kind of like that the pictures that i've seen the kitchen is a real full-size american kitchen i mean yeah it's not going to be like the ikea here's where you and a family of 12 can live in 500 square feet (laughs) yeah um other products or other brands rather that are on display are brands such as disney dixie cup um ibm so all of these this is such a random assortment absolutely it is and they are all teaming together to show off the wealth of the u.s and like how great it is to be an american citizen right but pepsi pepsi takes the cake so on july 24th the soviet leader and i'm really gonna butcher this name so um just please love me anyway nikita Kershevich, Kershevich, and then and the Kershev? then vice. No, Kershev? I said that wrong. Kershev, Kershevich. I used to know that. I really did, and I hate myself right now for it. But anyhow, the worst part is, is mentally I can say it beautifully, but I cannot make it leave my mouth the same way it sounds in my brain. <laughs> All the time. All, All the, the time. time. Right. So uh, we're just going to call him Nikita. Uh, Nikita and the then Vice President Richard Nixon both attend, and Nixon gives him a tour. A couple of the rather interesting things that happen is that on this day, they take part in what's to become the infamous kitchen debate while standing in the mock American kitchen. What is the kitchen debate? um, Basically, it is where they traded barbs, quote, about communism and recent America and a recent American resolution on captive states under so- Soviet power. So they're like at the <laughs> kitchen table. So this is just a passive aggressive yes. meal at the 100%. kitchen table, like a married couple that should have gotten divorced a decade ago. Hundred percent. But to the tune of, oh, please love us. We're the best. Right. Like so, it's like they're arguing for the affection of their children, also sitting at the dining room table. <laughs> yeah, and those children, I guess, are going to be Pepsi and IBM. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, I think they're having it on behalf of the populations of America and Russia. I think that you're probably right. Um, so the night before this event. The there's a Pepsi executive called Donald M. Kindle, and he is kind of I don't want to say he's panicky, but basically the higher the higher ups in his management have said taking Pepsi to this event was not worth it. Oh, I've and, been at that kind of I've been in that position. I know right? you pay. Right. So he he kind of pulls Nixon aside by some chance. I'm not entirely sure how they get in the same room but the basic gist is like i have to make this worth it for pepsi to be here and nixon's like got you bud so i'm imagining this happens when they're standing in the men's bathroom at urinals 
that's actually how I imagined it. Like either meeting what, in the What hallway. is with our brains? <laughs> like because that makes the most sense. Like I thought, okay, they either met in the hallway or maybe I just missed that part completely. But the way I understand it, it was like Kendall just talking to Nixon and at this point if he knew Nixon before now it was not um to the same capacity yeah right? I like mean maybe it's a work from trip. A dinner it's party. a bonding trip they're they're gonna get closer on this okay right 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 and so at this event Nixon kind of ushers the Soviet leader to the Pepsi booth and at the Pepsi booth are two um pepsi dispensers one serves pepsi made with american water and the other with russian water because they wanted to be all symbolic about it please say they taste completely different because they're going to taste completely different i i'm going to assume that they taste completely different (laughs) but it works out really well so I have a photo and I'll share it with you if you'd like. It's of Nixon and the Soviet leader standing together and the latter is gingerly sipping his cup of Pepsi. Mr. Kendall stands on the side and is pouring another cup. And this is like monumental for him because he got Nixon and the Soviet leader in the photograph with the like Pepsi. You can see the logo everywhere. Okay. I need this. I need right? this. Okay. So let me share my screen. It is a black and white photo. There is a man in a white fedora side eyeing <laughs> Kerchief. Nixon is looming over Fedora's <laughs> shoulder like a creeper at a bar who's just roofied the drink. With his jowls like everywhere. I am not a crook, and you should drink this drink. <laughs> yep. And so Mr. Kindle is the gentleman you can see here in the front in the darker suit. He's got like the the, I think it's a bottle of Pepsi in his hand. It, but the way he's holding it, like it looks like it's he's just got massive hands and it's a wine bottle. And maybe it's just because I don't see people <laughs> pouring. Yeah. It. So anyway, this picture basically um, skyrockets his career. Because not only did the Russians take to Pepsi like frogs take to water. <laughs> okay, that was that terrible. Is a, okay. It was the worst. I'm sorry. And it should be said <laughs> that Kendall in the foreground is the only one in the photo smiling. Yeah. And I suspect that is because um, at the time, um, the Alice Obscure, Obscure article writer Ebank says, quote, Kershaw's son later recalled that many Russians first take on Pepsi was that it smelled like shoe wax. Honestly, now that you say that. <laughs> Right, but I guess I'm just not close enough daily with shoe wax to go there as my first touchstone. But I guess the Russian community is. I need to care more about my appearance. That's my takeaway. <laughs> but all that being said, um, it becomes a sensational hit, and in Russia, in the Soviet Union. And Mr. Kendall's career gets launched. Within six years of the exhibit, he would become the CEO of Pepsi. And Get so, it. right? Um, he would also see the USSR as the land of milk and honey for Pepsi. In 72, he succeeded in negotiating a, a cola monopoly, locking Coca-Cola out of Russia until 1985. And, you know, okay, that's impressive because 
having been to like Mexico, lived in Japan for years, I swear to you, and I know this is true for a lot of African countries, it feels like Coca-Cola owns the countries. You go there and there's vending machines everywhere there. I mean, it's just like, like they've sponsored the entire nation and then it's duplicated many times over. You know, I've actually heard, um, I can't, I don't remember the source, but years ago, I was a missionary, but years ago, they said that one of the things they learned while in Africa is that Coke had, this was probably in the late nineties, had set out to put a Coke machine, be, be it a dispenser or a vending machine within 10 feet of every person on the planet. But that was back in the late nineties. And but that's actually a good, like that is a clear goal. Like oh, when you yes. think about it, cause it's like Toyota wanted to be the biggest car manufacturer on the planet. But for them, they qualified that by saying, we want to have the most Toyotas. Old, new, like, so they created cars that ran. Right. And stayed that way. Yeah. Yeah. They were not one and done for sure. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. They're not making lemons. They want, they want their 79 Corolla to still be. <laughs> Corolla-ing. <laughs> exactly. To, to Corolla-ing. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. I'm done with the we're dad so jokes. Lame. I love us. I'm done. I'm, I... <laughs> so, so yeah, basically he locks um, Coca-Cola out of Russia until 85. And um, the Atlas obscure i'm going to quote again says cola syrup began flowing through the soviet union where it was bottled up locally it was a coup (laughs) absolutely delightful um there's a new york times article that says quote the soda was the first capitalized product available in the ussr okay but here comes the teeny tiny problem um and that's the dollar dollar bills uh, so the Soviet rubles were pretty much useless to the rest of the world, and the Kremlin would determine their value within the country itself, which I have, like, so many questions about that, but long story short, your money's no good here. Right. Right, like... <laughs> and not in the, oh, put that away, we pay you for I, everything, but in the... It's um, literally no good here. <laughs> sir, this is a Wendy's. Yes, your your start your Starbucks card doesn't work here, ma'am. Um, <laughs> exactly, and also Soviet law prohibits taking the currency out of the country, anyways. So this is a very Sparta kind of rule. It's real interesting. Okay. Um. So the USSR and Pepsi have a sit down conversation, and bartering is what they come up with. So basically, they work out this bargain where Pepsi sent to the USSR and Stolichnia vodka would be distributed in the United States. Ah, fun fact: this is also the first vodka in space. (laughs) I'm not surprised. I mean, honestly, considering that we were in a space race with Russia, and it checks. It's super. Stoli is a brilliant brand, and if I'm gonna drink vodka. Well, you're part of this 1959 exhibit. <laughs> you know, I've been a part was... of a lot of things because of my drinking. Because <laughs> that was the main takeaway for, for the U.S. This vodka is fabulous. Um, so basically, they work out a trade, right? This trade would create a nation of Pepsi lovers. And by the 1980s, the Russians were drinking approximately a billion servings of Pepsi a year. I just realized why we're not talking about Coke and it's because of your love of Pepsi. Yes, it is. 
Okay, okay. carry on. Pepsi, <laughs> if you're listening, we can be bought. Absolutely. <laughs> we take bribes. In the year of 1989, the Washington Post says, quote, PepsiCo figures that it sold soft drinks in the Soviet Union worth 300 million rubles last year. So whatever the currency in the USSR at that time was going to be 300 million rubles. And since their money's no good here, I don't have an exact. You know, and I would throw shade here, but I promise you in my story, I've got two moments where I have to be like, well, I did my best, but these numbers suck. (laughs) So there we are. Okay, carry Um, on. In an article for the Washington Post dated April 10 of 1990 by Peter Conradi, he says, quote, PepsiCo will help its partners more than double to 50 the number of Soviet Pepsi bottling plants and double annual sales for the current 1 billion servings. Oh, my goodness. Right. Um, in the in an article for the L.A. Times, which I think I absolutely loved this particular um, story for me because there were so many first account news articles written at the time so you were like getting it as it i was reading it as it was happening you know 30 years later but it was so fun to like this is what they thought was going to be the outcome you know right um another article for the la times in july of 92 author mark Michael Park says, quote, the retail sales of cola and vodka alone would total more than $3 billion. And that's a 92 money? Yeah, which I think comes roughly to around $7 billion, if I understand the math right. Either way, money. Pepsi's doing well. Yeah, they're doing so great. Um, and <laughs> so this part of the quote goes on to the the part of the Navy story, but... Pepsi's estimate in 1990 is that the selling of the ships would likely be worth another 300 million back in the 90s. So, <clears throat> excuse me. As far as the US goes, the Sloichnia was popular, but an American boycott in response to the Soviet Afghan war was taking place now. So, we're, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, And Pepsi wants to find another way to trade with Russia since Americans are not buying Russian products because they're they're boycotting their their actions in the war. Right. Um, I mean, we're capitalists. And when capitalists understand how to hurt another capitalist, you kick them in the pocketbook. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so with the help of a Norwegian company, Pepsi would become the middleman for a naval fleet including 17 old submarines and three warships, which include a frigate, a cruiser, and a destroyer. Pepsi would then sell this fleet to the Norwegian company for scrap. But for a duration, they held this fleet, which I think is absolutely glorious. Yep. Um, Pepsi was also set to buy Soviet oil tankers, and then they were going to either lease them or sell them outright to the Norwegians. Um excuse me, the new ships the Soviet Union would build would be at least 10 ships, mostly oil tankers, in the 25K to 65K metric ton range, and this would help finance the estimated $1 billion that PepsiCo planned to invest in the project. Doing so also allowed Pepsi to open two Pizza Huts in Moscow. <laughs> Which I didn't wait. realize... Pepsi and Pizza Hut were in bed together? Pepsi owned Pizza Hut. I had no idea. Neither did I. And I was like, well, that's new. <laughs> like, 
I guess if I go back into my brain and remember the time I went to Pizza Hut right before I went to go watch The Land Before Time and got the little foot stuffy. Yep. They probably had Pepsi. But just because I go to Chipotle and I see a Coca-Cola bottle in the refrigerator, I don't assume that Coke owns Chipotle. Yeah, neither neither would I. And now I'm wondering who owns Taco Bell. Mountain Dew. <laughs> Probably Baja Because it's the only way you can get your Baja Bl- Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so all that to be say, so now there's two Pizza Huts and a bunch of Pepsi in Moscow. Um, and this also gives Pepsi the exclusive rights to to distribute the vodka in the U.S., so now there's no competition. Pepsi has like all the monopoly on this, right? At this point. Wait, so why don't we drink more Pepsi and vodka together? I suspect because Pepsi and vodka together do not taste good. But like, I know vanilla vodka and Dr. Pepper is an incredible blend. Well, you know, I will have to give me some vodka and pour it over some Pepsi and we'll have this conversation again. Okay, carry on. Because I'm a fan of Pepsi and like whiskey, right? Like, right. The, dark, the darks go together, but I've never thought about throwing vodka in there. I'll give it a go. All right. I mean, report back. Yeah, I'll let you, I'll let you know, I mean, sir. Maybe not right now right. because it's before church for you. Yeah, no, I can't right now. <laughs> It'll be a couple days. Um, at this point, jokes are being made that Pepsi is taking, quote, the Cola Wars to the high sea. See, this would have been a brilliant commercial. I'm just imagining the entire branding campaign for this. Oh, Cindy Crawford is like sitting on the bow of the ship with the... In her her admiral's uniform. Oh, it's perfect. Yep. The mole shining in the sun. And I'm imagining it in the the 90s, uh, not perfect color scheme that we have, right? Like... Because they did not have QLED TVs. Like, yep. That's yep. how I'm imagining. It's a little muted. Drink Pepsi <laughs> or else. Yeah. With the Cindy, <laughs> yep. with the Wendy, Cindy Crawford wink. I mean, wink, I tried to yep. combine so many words there. I got you. I didn't. Wendy Crawford say. as opposed to the winking Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one. <laughs> um, so, Mr. Kindle, while talking with Brent Snowcraft, who was the national security advisor to President George Bush the first. Kendall says, quote, we're disim- we're disarming the Soviet Union faster than you are. And honest to God, if that's not a solid burn, I don't know what it is. I mean, <laughs> anytime you can throw shade at a world leader and I'm you're sure probably doing like, it. yeah, I mean, I don't care who you are. If you're Wendy Crawford or <laughs> or Cindy Crawford <laughs> or Mr. Kendall with Pepsi, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. So, um. A lot of this, like the events happening in the late 80s, early 90s, are happening because the then leader, Mikhail Gorbachev, who, fun fact, starred in a 1998 Pizza Hut commercial, which I did not know. So just there's that for your brain. Wow. And you can go watch it. You can see it on YouTube. It's there. You can watch it. Um, He wants to help the already crumbling economy and the state of the USSR. So he pushes through a number of reforms that are, quote, aimed to encourage enterprise and open more free trade, allowing more internet interaction with Western capitalism. So he's like, yeah, this Pepsi deal is a go. Let's make it work. We need to figure out how to bring the USSR into the next century and make it stable. Um, So (laughs) 
1990, another deal is forming that was supposed to be even bigger than the previous deal of the 17 ships naval fleet. Mm -hmm. Um, And this particular deal was what was going to include the tankers that were going to be leased or sold to the Norwegian company. Unfortunately, um, the early 90s happened, but... There is a Washington Post reports that Pepsi rose from $1.50 to $66.50 on heavy volume of more than 669,000 shares in that afternoon on the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange the day that the article was released stating that Pepsi was entering another multi-billion dollar deal with Russia. I wish my family had entered in at the beginning of that with right? the very cheap shares. My poor mouth is sitting here because we exactly didn't. Dude, dude, yeah. A buck fifty to sixty six fifty is insane. However, in ninety one the Soviet Union fell, as did its future deals with Pepsi. The fall also turned all the previous deals into essentially a three ring circus for multiple countries. Due to redrawn borders, privatization, and inflation, it was an absolute brain wreck of how do we get Pepsi all over Russia like it was before, and how do we get our vodka out of Russia into the U.S. Um, Atlas Obscura took the L.A. Times article that broke down everything that was written in the 1990s, that broke down everything, and they gives us this nice little um, quote about it. The new Pizza Huts were hobbled. Their mozzarella was sourced from Lithuania. The company had hoped to pivot from heavy glass bottles to cheaper plastic, but the plastic company was located in Belarus. Similarly, Pepsi's partially built ships were stranded in the newly independent Ukraine, which wanted a cut of the sales. Over several months, Pepsi pieced parts of the deal back together, but instead of dealing with a single state, they had a broker with 15 countries. Works oh. off. Coca-Cola aggressively enters the former Soviet Union and Pepsi struggles to keep its advantage. So Among... you say that and I hear Coca-Cola enters the chat. Exactly. Yes. Um, I should have said it that way. I'm so sorry. Because no, you're fine. That's what my I'm, I'm here for you. You know, like I'm <laughs> going to interrupt you with the bizarre and the what the ha? 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 Could you say that again? No, I'm here for you. Anyhow. Um... Among other marketing strategies, it launched a giant replica Pepsi can up to the MIR space station for a commercial and erected two iconic billboards over the bustling Puskin Square in Moscow. Who did this, Kindle, Pepsi or Coke? Um, Pepsi did that in a in an attempt to like oh, in a hail mary. We need yeah, to like, remember. Please, Russia remember you love forget. us. We're yeah. your shoe wax of choice. <laughs> please drink us. <laughs> Um, Kendall, who had since retired, lamented that the Soviet Union had essentially gone out of business, <laughs> which I thought was like, I mean, that's a very capitalistic way to look at it. That was exactly what I was going to say. A very capitalistic. Um, but then you think like how interesting it is that outside of like the space race or the arms race or anything like that, capitalism was like just combining countries and making stuff work. Which is I mean, so weird. Isn't that what the Hudson Hudson Bay Company did? Yeah, I mean, I guess, but it, I guess to me it's weird because we we you know there's so much hate on capitalism, but here it is like working. Okay, <laughs> I think we need to like go back a second and define working because here we are in the death thralls. 
I mean, that's true. Okay, not working, like, okay, I mean, working as in, like, these these corporations were able to work peacefully with each other to make a profit from each other. Oh, yeah, other. no, yeah, no, I'm, I'm that's, with you. Like, yeah, no, sometimes I mean. corporations can function very similarly to countries. Right, 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 right. They're paid um, better, typically. <laughs> yeah. So Russia remains the second biggest drink of drinker of Pepsi today, which I think is really interesting. Second and, to you, right? It goes Angie, yeah. then the and, entire. So it's technically third because it's Angie, the U.S., and then Russia. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, I, you you have a distributor that shows up to your house and offloads. I, dude, I wish. The amount of times Ian and I have talked about installing a vent, like a the the ice machine. <laughs> would probably be cheaper than the amount of times i go to the gas station in one week so there we are okay i um, now know what i could get you for our hundredth podcast i can't say that we're too close to it um <laughs> our thousandth podcast <laughs> release yeah, exactly um i also thought so foreignpolicy.com which kind of went more into detail about this event as far as like the details of what politically was happening between each country made a really good point about this so kindle kind of says to nixon hey i need this thing to work in 1959 and nixon's like i got you boo and he ushers the soviet leader over to the pepsi stand and makes it worth their wild right yeah in turn kindle sees nixon having a bit of a time not doing well politically right Oh, I can't imagine what you could possibly be talking about. Right. And so he promises that whatever law firm took the politician on as a partner would also receive Pepsi's legal accounts. This then in turn (laughs) gives Nixon the excuse to travel around the country and the globe as a representative for Pepsi. Pepsi's involvement in Nixon's political life gave nixon the groundwork he needed for his political comeback (laughs) and i just think that is absolutely wild i cannot decide what's weirder that for a short time pepsi had a naval fleet or that pepsi had anything to do with american politics but there you have it back up a bit that pepsi had anything to do with nixon pepsi with politics okay i could see them in bed together i could see with nixon yeah, like, Nixon? like if you said if you said Bill Clinton would play saxophone at every corporate event for Pepsi, <laughs> I would be like, I buy it, I buy it. I want to see it now. So thanks I mean, for that. it sounds absolutely absurd, but okay, I believe it. But Nixon was sponsored by Pepsi. Yeah, is that not the weirdest thing? I when mean, that's I... that's that's like Greenpeace sponsoring a NASCAR. When. I put that together like when I fully understood that paragraph my my brain shifted from isn't it crazy that for a time Pepsi had a naval fleet even if it was only long enough to get it from point A to point B yeah from Russia to Norway right like even if it was only that long that's such a wild story any already but then to think that Pepsi essentially saved Nixon's butt absolutely floored me like my brain is still like are we sure like yeah which which goes back to that whole mandela effect like did i remember this different than how it actually happened because i don't 
<laughs> for any of this. <laughs> but nice. I was also 1990 and I was six years old. So what do I know? What I'm nearly 40 and what do I know? I feel that every day. So here we are. Okay. Stephanie, I told you the story of Pepsi's Navy fleet. I I I was in, I enjoyed every second of it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right, so um, I, I in previous episodes have brought you strange and wonderful wars. They're my favorite. Is it? Do you have a favorite war? Do you have a favorite battle? You know, I would say the the pig war and its pettiness. I I have yet to top it. I think for me, the pig war's pettiness and um, the sheer stupidity of the Battle of Cransby's are my favorite. Battle of Cransby's also up there. Um, it the the pig war has a level of petty that I can't let go of. The Battle of Cransby's has a level of this would happen, and this is what I do to self sabotage myself, which is why I can't <laughs> love it as much because <laughs> it it reminds me too much of my own flaws and foibles. Okay. Okay. I just aspire to be the level of petty that brought on the pig wars. Oh, same, same. You know, like Brian, you didn't encase the field where the the things are, and that's why the pig. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyhow, I'm going to tell you today of the war of the stray dog. <laughs> I'm sorry. What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Hit me. Okay. Uh, my sources are an article from bootcampmilitaryfitnessinstitute.com, What Was the War of the Stray Dog, 1925, by Andrew Marshall. War History Online has an article, Wars Fought for Stupid Reason, Stray Dog Caused War Between Greece and Bulgaria in 1925 <gasps> by Shah- Shahan Russell. Okay, I'm so excited. Okay, made... I triggered I triggered understanding in you. I, I think I have recently read something about this i don't remember where but history.com history war history.com sounds right but okay i didn't read and like enough past the headline to go i'm sorry what (laughs) ridiculous so so excited okay podcast the last two are podcasts ridiculous history war the stray dog how far would you go for your pet and then there was a podcast lions led by donkeys which (laughs) also about the same thing um okay so we're, I got to give you a ton of background because we're going to 1925, but to get there, I got to bring us back to the 1800s. Okay. So we got to start with the Ottoman Empire that ruled all kinds of diverse religions, cultures, ethno-linguistic groups, the whole nine. Only some of them, like you got to think about these, this included the Greeks and the Bulgarians. And Greece didn't gain its independence until 1832. Bulgaria broke out in 1800. Bulgaria broke out in 1908. So on the whole, the Ottoman Empire is Islamic, and the Greeks and Bulgarians are Eastern or the Greeks and Orthodox. Yeah, they're they're Eastern Orthodox. Um, and so oil and water. The Greeks and Bulgarians they're also members of the Balkan League which is what they all came together to fight for their independence. And even though they get their independence, they still face this threat of the, the Ottoman empire. They're still, you know, the big kid on the, on the block with the stick. Right. 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 Um, small problem. Greece and Bulgaria hate each other. That checks. 
I mean, because they're so close to, I mean, they're of the same religion, but they're neighbors. And like any HOA will show you, neighbors hate (laughs) each other. This ends up leading to the Balkan League that they carved up. Or so the Bar- the Balkan League had carved up the European side of the Ottoman Empire amongst themselves. So Albania is formed, um, and it leaves Macedonia and then Western Thrace. And both I didn't know Thrace was a was a place, but Bulgaria and Greece both want them. And so instead of you know like maintaining a peace because they fought together in the Balkan League to earn independence, they're just at each other's throats. Oh my gosh, this is like the international version of Red Rover, Red, Ro- Red Rover. Oh, this is exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it results in both of them, you know, having tons of border skirmishes and it leads to the second Balkan war of 1913. So they oh. have their own war and then world war one breaks out. Bulgaria sides with Germany, Austria, and Hungary, and then they launch an attack against Serbia and the war ends with Bulgaria losing in an allied victory and Greece is rewarded for siding with the winning team as you do. Right. So since Bulgaria cast its lot with the losing side, it's forced to give up Western thrice and that ends its access to the Aegean sea. They also end up giving up the land of the, this is the worst country name in the world the kingdom of Croats, sorry, the kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes. This later gets rebranded as Yugoslavia. I was going to say, I would hate to be the the bearer that has to yell, and the king of, as he enters the room. I mean, and that's really what it is. It's like, you couldn't just come up with one name to put the umbrella term, put us all under. You have to like call out every people group underneath you individually. Yeah. Because you know, the Serbs are like, we're the best. We go first. And the Slovenes are like, well, how slow your roll? Why are we last? This is like Daenerys's name. Explain. From Game of Thrones. I mean, I know that she's from Game of Thrones, but I... She has like 22 names. Okay. See, that's, that is the level of depth I needed because I could like spout out- Outlander facts at you, but I don't necessarily <laughs> retain the Game of Thrones. So here we are. You balance me out. <laughs> we're we're so good for each other. Oh, bestie. <laughs> okay, so as a result, the tensions between Greece and Bulgaria they they don't improve with the end of World War One. They kind of intensify. Bulgaria is deep in its feels about losing, and they decide to refuse to honor the terms of the treaty. And um, instead, they raid Greece and Yugoslavia. Just for funsies. So they are not honoring the terms of Red Rover and they punch the guy on the left. <laughs> yeah, pretty, mu- okay. pretty much. Pretty okay. much. Pretty um, much. And in 1923, Bulgarian Prime Minister Alexander Stambolinsky, I that's pretty dang close, tried to mitigate tensions with Greece and improve relations with the rest of the continent. So he's trying to be political. He's like, you know, I mean, I'm doing my best. We hate everybody, but hey, I'm I'm going to try. And for this I'm outrage, make it work. Yeah. So um, because he tries to be so kind and so into, you know, foreign diplomacy, uh, he's ousted with a coup and then <laughs> captured by a faction of Bulgarians, the IMRO, and they torture and kill him. Oh. So that's what we get for people who want to play nice with our neighbors. 
so good. This, this would be like Ian pissing off the neighbors, you trying to go make nice, Ian burning your clothes in the gar- in the in the garden. That would be bad on him since he bought ninety five percent of them. Just saying. Okay, I I like how it's still all his problem. Um, <laughs> it is entirely all his problem. <laughs> so meanwhile. In the southwest border city of Petrich of Bulgaria, it borders Greece. The following takes place. October 18th, 1925, we have an unnamed Greek soldier, which is too bad. And this bro has a dog. So he's just taking his dog for a walk. I don't, I, or living with a dog. I I, I fail to know exactly the, the parameters. We don't even know the dude's name. Anyhow. The dog slips its lead or whatever the dog was doing and makes a break for the Bulgarian side. (laughs) And you can only assume that this guy loves his dog so, so very much because despite the frequent skirmishes and the hundreds of dead on both sides of this border, the soldier runs after it. Maybe he forgets what he's heading towards. But one podcast I listened to said the the soldier was shot and just lays out in the open, screaming in pain. And another version says that he's just shot and killed. Oh, okay. Either way, it's safe to assume the sources agree that the Bulgarians are the ones that shoot him. Right then. So the Greeks start firing back, and the Bulgarians return fire. Oh, so it's some guy walking his dog. Some guy chasing his escaped dog. <laughs> I can't, okay. Okay. Like, walking his dog sounds like he's do 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 walking down the street, but this is like bingo, bingo. And then like, no, bingo for you. Bingo for me. <laughs> bingo. <laughs> Yahtzee. I didn't necessarily mean to go there, but I regret nothing. <laughs> so both sides are firing at each other and eventually there's a lull. And so I guess kind of like with a conversation, this is a lull bigger than like, you know, pausing to reload. There is that pause in the conversation. And so a Greek captain literally takes, a, runs up a white flag and takes his aid and they run into the no man's land to try to grab the body. Now in, in the version where this guy's alive, he's been screaming out in pain the entire time. And eventually this officer takes his aid and they go grab him. And that part makes more sense to me than him being shot dead. So as the Bulgarians watch this officer and his aide with the white flag, they wait for him to get super close. They, they can't resist. Their trigger f- fingers are super itchy. So they kill the captain and the aide. And in the version where this guy was alive, they then shoot the guy that's been screaming in pain this whole time. So that means Bulgaria scored three, Greece has scored zero. Now, the newspapers, they start sharing these facts too, but they skip the dog fact completely. This feels like a huge misstep. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this happened now, we would have visuals, T-shirts, and days of the news cycle just on the dog alone. Like, what kind yeah, of dog yeah. was it? This dog was bred for war. Was this just a mutt? Can we interview the pound owner? Can we interview, like... Y- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But according to the press... The Bulgarian border guards stormed a Greek outpost at Belastizia for no reason. And it was during this raid that the Greek captain and one guard were killed. As for the dog, we don't we don't know anything. 
<laughs> the the dog and his owner are just lost to history. We know the owner's dead, but we we don't know anything about the dog. Uh, but Bulgaria and Greece are now on the brink of war. Bulgaria's they express regret for the incident, and it's all been a terrible misunderstanding. They yeah. propose a Greco-Bulgarian commission to investigate the matter. As okay. You. I mean, and this makes sense, right? They're like, whoopsie poopsie. <laughs> we messed this up here. We may have infected the bed. To paint your garage door also. Sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> we we had the gardener come over to trim the bushes, but they they didn't stop on our side and they cut down your hundred year old rose bush. Very yeah. sorry about that. In theory, I mean, honestly, this could have ended here. But we have we have a we have a small problem. You remember how the pig war and the the honey war, how there's at least one shit disturber. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So here's where I'm going to introduce you to General Theodoros Pangalos. That is a name. And Pangalos is the, he deposed the king Constantine I of Greece and established the second Hellenic Republic. And he also led a coup, which installed him as the country's first prime minister and then later its president. Okay. So he upgrades his title. And honestly, if you lead the coup, I feel like you have that right. Yeah, you make it that far, yeah. You're like, I'm the president. Scratch that. I'm supreme ruler. Scratch that. I am God. I am the emperor. <laughs> so um, he, he decides he's going to win hearts and minds. So he does a couple of things um, that endears him to his public. He suspends the freedom of press. And he devalues the Greek currency just by cutting all of the paper notes in half. And he he decides that, you know, why, why do any of this if you can't really be the misogynistic asshole you are? And so he decides that he's going to dictate how long women's skirts should be. And they should be no higher than 30 centimeters above the ground. And this all started because some guy was walking his dog. Yeah, I, honestly. Well, yeah, no, but th- okay. So th- actually, it's not because this guy was walking a dog, but because um, this this is the leader of the Greeks. And so we just need to understand that if you are walking your dog and that this is your leader, things are going to happen. Yeah. Basically, your leader's a loose cannon. That's yes. what I'm trying to communicate. So um, he, Pangalos, he decides he's going to weigh in on this dog conflict he's like you guys want to have a commission that's cute um i'm going to give you an ultimatum so bulgaria we're gonna need to punish you by making you give us an official apology you're also gonna need to pay us two million french francs in composite in compensation to the victim's families and um you're gonna need to do it in 48 hours or we're, we're gonna have consequences so i was like okay two million french francs 1925 what is that today so apparently this is where things get really convoluted because like i'm like this is bulgaria we're talking about french francs so this is already very convoluted um so i had to translate that to us dollars at the time and then try the inflation calculator but the problem is the historical conversion calculator i was using translates everything to Swedish money or how much money a male Swede could earn in a day and how much purchasing power the Franks had in Sweden, which I'm like, this is French currency. Why why does Sweden have anything to do with this? 
I think it, I I have come to across the same problem, and I think that for whatever reason, the historical currency converter is a Swedish based website. That would make sense because it's like at least three times I've come across that. Either way, regardless of the Swedes and their involvement, the. <laughs> Basically, in 2023 money, we're looking at... Actually, do you want to make a guess? Two million, Swiss, Swiss, <laughs> two million French francs in 1925. How much... What it would be today? USD. 25 million. One million four hundred sixty-two thousand eight hundred seventy-four dollars ninety-one cents in today's <laughs> money. And that, feel, that felt real weird. Either way, that's the number I came up with. It's what I'm sticking to. Is it right? It feels wrong. I'm not sure. Okay. Okay. But either way, by putting the dead man trigger of 48 hours on it, that that's the way to, to blow the negotiations. Because if you're trying to shake your couch cushions for 2 million French francs, that's I mean, a bit I need hard. You to call your auntie over there on the border. Yeah. And uh, she's going to need to wire some money. Well, Bulgaria tells them to kick rocks. As you do. I mean, what else are you going to do when you're up against a, a dude like Pangalos? So yeah. October 22nd, and this was only October 18th, so stuff has escalated. It's only been six days. Okay. <laughs> Pangalos has ordered his troops into Bulgaria where they occupy the town of Petrich, which is the town where the dog shooting took place, and all the nearby villages. The Bulgarians fight back and the Greeks to maintain their grip over the town and its surrounding region. So desperate, Bulgaria appeals to the League of Nations, which is the precursor to the UN. Right, right, right. The League of Nations, they're like, you guys have to have a ceasefire. And they demand that Greece withdraws immediately and that they compensate Bulgaria for the invasion. The Greeks, they're they're looking at the, the League of Nations like, you hypocrites. Don't you remember the Corfu incident of 1923, literally two years ago when Italy attacked our Greek island? And you guys sided with the Italians. Okay. So this is a lot of, but mom. Yeah, it is. And Pangolos argues that the league had two rules, one for powerful nations like Italy and another for the weaker ones like Greece. Oh, okay. I mean, you know, honestly, this is just like you, you yelling at your sons and one of them saying, but you treat him differently because he's the insert whatever random yep. argument they have that's literally that's why i only had one kid i you know <laughs> it was strategic um logistical yeah i just i just don't want to fight those logic battles like look you you know you shouldn't kick the dog period end of story mm-hmm. she only did that when she's a toddler so nobody nobody read too much into that anyhow um nevertheless pangolas has no choice and the league sent in military attaches from France, Italy, and Britain to oversee the Greek withdrawal. Oh, okay. And here's the bad part, right? Because about 50 Bulgarians have died during this brief occupation. And um, it's it's citizens, not so much the soldiers. And like, there's pictures of like, a group of women and children showing the bullet wounds on their children or their own feet. Oh my God. So it is the worst people. Well, I shouldn't say the worst people. It is the people who shouldn't be injured getting injured. Right. So Greek is ordered to pay 45 
thousand pounds in compensation. And can I just say like, what, what, why, why are we ordering them to pay in pounds? They have their own currency. What, why are, why is British pound? We were talking Swiss francs earlier or not Swiss francs, but French francs. I wonder if it's because those two currencies hold more international weight. You know, okay. That makes sense. That checks. I just, I feel like if I am going to schedule a meeting with you and I'm going to include a time and a time zone, I'm going to include a time zone that one or both of us recognize. <laughs> We're both in the Pacific time zone. So I'm going Our to use podcast will be set in central time. Yeah. I, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> like if I, if I hit you with an India standard time, you're going to look at me like, what the hell are you on? So 4 PM I tomorrow, I don't. Yes, And that's, <laughs> that's what I feel like the league of nations really did here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So 45,000 pounds in 1925 money. Want to want to hazard a guess? No, my first guess was so off. I I don't think that um, hazarding is gonna salt is gonna help me here. I mean, I was way off because I'm like forty five thousand pounds, and again, we have these fun things of translating everything to Swedes. Um, it's three basically three point three million in U.S. dollars. Okay. And so, this conflict is referred to as either the war of the stray dog or the incident at Petrich. And Hmm. it obviously humiliates Pangalos because he's forced to pay. He had demanded, you give me 1.4 million for this stupidity or I invade. And he doesn't get that. Instead, he's forced to pay them 3.3 million. (laughs) That's what you get. It's, you know, (laughs) play stupid games win stupid prizes Mm -hmm. this humiliates him and humiliates all of greece and he so the military because remember he came to power for staging a coup the military stages another coup and replaces him with the president that he originally deposed perhaps he allowed your skirt to be whatever length you wanted it to be and um, allowed freedom of press i don't know maybe 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 don't be a dick typically yeah but that's the story of the war of the stray dog i that was so much more than i thought that it was gonna be like when i I, whatever i read about it recently was like and then a guy walking his dog gets shot and i was like well that was a sad war (laughs) well i mean but that's that's the kickoff you know (laughs) i mean i'm just grateful the dog wasn't injured we don't know what happened to the dog maybe it was taken in by a mom who was nursing her own bullet wound and needed the dog to like comfort her, turn into an emotional support animal, lived out its life. Eating turkey legs and things like that. Like I'm here for it. Yeah. Get, getting fed scraps under the table. As you should. I mean, every (laughs) good dog. Every good dog lays right by the table and waits. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. They know. They're immediately under the kid's high chair. Oh, they know. Oh yeah. They've been, they've been trained well. This one's going to drop something for sure. Yep. That's why my dog's <laughs> near me. This one has, This one is clumsy. This one's going to throw stuff on the floor for me. Uh, Remy does not leave the kitchen when I'm cutting meat because he knows I will not eat the fat. So I cut all the fat off and he'll wait for me to just drop it. <laughs> I like how you had to pause, pull your hands off underneath the blanket and do your air quotes. Yep. That's what I mm-hmm. did. Yep. No, the the puppy is not 
indoctrinated and will go out in the backyard when I'm cooking. Oh. And the older dog will just be like, you dummy. And just sit immediately at my feet. Puppy oh, goes right out. Here. And it's like, <laughs> oh, crap. That just fell. Oh, gone. Thanks, Chunky. And Chunky's like, I got you. I got you. I didn't earn this name for no reason. My name is Chunky. <laughs> I'm here for it. I got you. I always laugh because Remy goes and lays by Ian, which makes just cracks me up because Ian plays Mr. I don't like you for most of the day. Um, but I catch them snuggling and he lays by Ian when it's time for food. Like, are you sneaking him stuff under the table? <laughs> no. And he always looks very incredulous. And then I'll watch him like put his hand down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. Tough guy. <laughs> Well, if you have enjoyed this episode of Unhinged History, um, give us a review, rate, subscribe, let us know, like give us an email. Yeah. And on that note, goodbye. <laughs>